0: Hey, it's Jay. And periodically, we like to break off a piece of the podcast production process and focus really deeply right there. So for example, our last one was on producers. What do producers actually do? And we talked to Rebecca Sinanis, an award-winning producer best known for her work on the Pivot podcast with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Today... We want to revisit a topic that's just so important to so many shows and podcasters and has so much nuance to it. There's no one right way, but there's a lot we can explore. And that's interview skills. And so we invited back one of our most popular guests ever and a world-class Peabody-nominated podcast producer and host to break down a few moments of her interviews so we can be better at ours. I want to know how to do the things
1: that only comes from you Ah,
2: this is three
1: clips
0: this is three clips i I wouldn't lie to you i wouldn't hire some musicians to then lie to you in the theme so i would never do that you're in the right place this is three clips and i am jay akonzo i explore and tell stories about creativity at work And I'm the host of the narrative podcast, Unthinkable, along with this fine program, which is a Castos original series. On this show, we invite podcasters that we admire to break down their best work a few pieces at a time, because that's where the best insights and techniques and the philosophizing all tend to come out, but we so rarely get to hear it. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome back a guest that I love and who challenges me to be better constantly. It's really obnoxious. Okay, it's mostly awesome. It's Juleka Lantigua Williams. She's the CEO of the podcast production and education company Lantigua Williams and Co., and she's the host of the show "How to Talk to Mommy and Poppy About Anything," the show that we'll break down together. Juleka is prolific and very generous. In addition to running her business and hosting that show, she runs a podcast workshop called "Podcasting Seriously," which she's built with her team into a bit of a platform, expanding well beyond just the workshops. And she both evangelizes and uses her own personal platform to lift up the voices and stories that are typically on the fringes, but deserve a stronger place in podcasting. She also originally appeared on three clips in November, 2020. With that, let's get into the craft of interviewing with Juleka Lantigua-Williams. I look at your body of work, and this is me saying it. Anyone who follows me is like, how do you do all those projects at once, Jay? I look at your body of work, Juleka, and I'm tired. (laughs) <laughs> so since since we last connected on the show I've just been following in all, all the amazing shows you and your company are working on plus all these initiatives for podcasters as well um the podcasting seriously fund I mean on and on and on it goes so I want to get into the interview part what I it's kind of a a weird question but given the craziness that you go through how in the world do you actually prepare for interviews that you yourself deliver? Cause I struggle to find the time. Regular people struggle to find the time. You're a superhero saving <laughs> everybody in podcasting and somehow have to like stop that and somehow get ready for an interview. How? So,
3: you know, I just take a page from James Brown. I put on my bedazzled cape and I sit in front of my microphone. <laughs> 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 no, not at all. First of all, Um, I am the office manager at LWC. Let's just be really clear. Um, I am not allowed to have any actual authority over (laughs) what gets on the air. (laughs) And so let me just make it very clear that my job title is head cheerleader slash office manager. And I very joyously every day work and serve my team because they're the real heroes. They are the ones who keep a thousand balls in the air, who meet every deadline, who have clients who are so happy with what they're doing that they want their friends to play with us. And so honestly, my job is to make sure that they don't want or need or miss anything in the process of doing what they do.
0: Okay. Uh, Let's go down that path then. How have your teammates made you a better interviewer?
3: Well, first of all, on the one show that I do do interviews, How to Talk to Mommy and Papi, I have one of the best producers, Virginia Lora, who has been with me for over a year on the show. So she's the heart and soul of the show. She does all the prep. I don't pre-interview. She pre-interviews everyone and she finds all of the people. And so we have a great we just have such a good working relationship but more importantly we now have a method right and so if you look at my interview prep sheet it's got like six parts to it every single prep document is exactly the same so when i'm in the interview when i need something i know where in the document i can go and then Mm -hmm. i can keep eye contact with the person and what Virginia does so well is that she gives me really open ended questions from which I can draw other questions as I'm talking to the person. Um, And so I stick to what she's given me for 99% of the time. And then every once in a while, she will have prepped an interview for topic X. But when I get in the room with the person, And I'm just doing chit chat, something unbelievable comes out of their mouth. And then we end up talking about that for 35 minutes. And then I have to slack her and be like, so what happened was you said that I have to talk to her about this. But then when she started talking, she started talking to me about this other thing. So sorry.
0: (laughs) I love anything relating to that phrase of what had happened was right. is like is bound <laughs> is bound to be a conversation after. Oh my god! And like in the world of production, you get a lot of There's moments. A lot you of get a lot what Oh yeah! Oh yeah! We're gonna look at three different moments within your show, "How to Talk to Mommy and Poppy About Anything," and a quick reminder to you, my listener friend there's a set format to the show. So in the first part, we hear a monologue or a testimonial from a child of immigrants who is struggling to communicate with their parents or with their family about a particular topic. In the second part of the show, uh, Jalega, you interview an expert about how children of immigrant parents could have a more productive conversation with their families around this. So we're going to pull three clips, each from a different episode, um, but they're going to showcase, I think, different interview techniques that you use, Jaleika. And the first clip comes from How to Teach Consent in Our Families. And the context is, in the first part of the episode, we hear a testimonial of a young man whose first sexual experience as a teen was one of sexual assault. And this young man, his name is, uh, is it Rafe? Rafe. Rafe is gay. While he was able to come out to some of his family members, he never really felt he could talk about the assault. So he is out, but never really brought that up with his parents that moment. Uh, and in this clip, you're, you're basically talking um, with an abuse prevention expert about how to teach consent and body autonomy in families. And when we hear your voice, which is the first voice we hear, um, there's something I want to ask you about that, that moment. Uh, and then the expert is going to chime in after. Her name is Rosalia Rivera. So let's go to the clip.
3: I want to talk about particular behaviors, behaviors that I've seen in my family. You know, for example, people who go into the restroom when you're in there because they have to pee, they have to brush their teeth. It's a revolving door. People who stay in the room when you're getting undressed. Essentially, the scaffolding of bad behavior um, that does not encourage body autonomy or privacy so that we can start to recognize that it's not about sitting down and having A talk with your child, but really about standardizing and normalizing behavior that encourages them to understand that they own their body and that they have a right to have privacy with their body.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. You just opened up Pandora's box. This is such a hot topic, uh, particularly with Latinx families, because that's just not how we grew up. Here's where I think a lot of people feel there's a point of friction is that they feel like it's more Americanized to be more respectful of our children's body rights. And I want to challenge parents to consider the messages that they're really sending their children and take this away from the perspective of respect You know when it comes to children and elders, because I think it comes back to that a lot. A lot of people are like, I don't want my child being rude. So I want to make sure that they're hugging or kissing their relatives when they're greeting them. Let's reframe that for a second and think about what you're really teaching here, which is that that person's body is really here for my pleasure or for my um, gratitude.
0: So many things I'd like to ask you before I do, I'd I'd put it to you, Juleka. What do you notice about that moment?
3: I'm very opinionated
0: as an interviewer. (laughs) You're heading me off. That's one of the questions (laughs) I wanted to ask is you definitely put yourself out there. You inserted your opinion and that that led to the moment. So, well,
3: so, so, you know, the background to that is that I have two small children. They're nine and 11 And so I am living and I am trying to correct some of these behaviors in my own life and realizing now that I didn't have that much privacy and I didn't have body autonomy. And there were lots of things, none of them inappropriate or criminal, obviously, but there were lots of things that, You know, I I probably would have preferred not to do as a kid, hug people who I had just met, you know, like sat on someone's lap because, you know, that's your auntie's boyfriend or whoever, and you're five, right? And so this topic definitely hit home for me. My responsibility in the room with the expert is to be the most vulnerable person, so that we get the most important information from the expert. I don't want to make it sound like I'm acting it because I'm not, I'm not equally passionate about all the things no, that we but cover. There's, on per,
0: there's intentionality. Not, not yes. there's there's intentionality yes. from a place of respecting the listener who will eventually receive this, who needs the experience that is in your and your team's mind to produce a certain way. Like there's yep. you're you're crafting something and it's not inauthentic. It's like we talk all the time as podcasters about authenticity and all this stuff. And eh, that's fraught. That's for another rant. But, you know, you're putting through the microphone different versions of you or different moments of you, different windows into who you are. If you're the house, like, I'm going to open up this window here. I'm going to open up this window here. Right. Right. Just the way you do in reality. It's a sunny day. I'm going to open up a window. So I think that's an important distinction here, Julek, is like you weren't acting, but you did have to bring forth certain parts of you in Mm -hmm. that moment. Yeah. It's necessary. Yeah. It's not without agenda. I should say, like, I I think we do need to acknowledge here, you know, you're, you are in extraction mode, right? You do need good tape.
3: Yeah. But I think the difference for a show like this, and especially now that we're on whatever episode 60 or something like that, people have heard the show enough that they understand what's about to happen. Right. And so, people who have heard the show, who are the people that we're making the show for, (laughs) right? Have a, a clear expectation of where the conversations are going to go, how the conversations are going to be shaped. And I have to deliver on that expectation, right? I'm lucky that almost everyone that we've had on the show has just been ridiculously in tune with what they came to talk about. Honestly, we've only ever killed two interviews. Um, and that's an incredible batting average mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. doing an interview
0: show. <laughs> two two questions about that high batting average. Uh, one is what do these experts, so remember for, for my listener friend, We're talking about the expert, not sort of like the proxy for the listener, not the child of immigrant parents here. So these experts ostensibly are used to communicating publicly. Um, You're trying to help them occupy a role for this particular show. What are they told? How are they primed to ensure they bring forth the best version of themselves in this interview?
3: So we send them the testimonial exactly as it appears on the show, um, a week before they're scheduled at least you know 48 48 hours before they're scheduled to talk to me so that they can listen to it several times if they want to make notes about particular points that they want to make they have that and we obviously encourage them to listen you know to at least the last couple of episodes that are out so that they're familiar with the format and then Virginia walks them through and says this is what's going to happen often if she gets the sense that people are not very tech savvy she will do a run through uh, the morning off or the day before to make sure that the equipment, because, you know, we learned early on that if people are sort of nervous and anxious about the setup, they can't be in the right headspace. And so now she very graciously just spends 10 or 15 minutes with people to make sure that their setup is right. Um, and it's really wonderful because now the <laughs> the breath document will often include things like, please remind her to turn off her air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah in there
3: and i love that or you know remind her that her neighbor is doing yard work so she has to close the window
0: <laughs> so these are all things you're kind of doing up front right like i mean if you are actually reminding her and that brings me to my second question there are some things that sound like housekeeping that i imagine uh you or your teammates will do on shows you produce to ensure that like you get through that stuff. It's like, all right, we're ready to record. I have the benefit on this podcast. I don't, I barely think about that stuff with, with other podcasters. Cause it's like, Oh, we're recording. Cool. I'm on. <laughs> I, other shows, I don't have that luxury of talking to like professional performers. And so how do you move Julika from by the way, your neighbor, by the way, your AC, by the way, the dog to, I'd like to open up about my kids and my experience with them and be vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like there's this like real gymnast move you're pulling there.
3: I just gave a workshop a couple of days ago in which I emphasized how part of the responsibility of the interviewer is to redistribute their de facto power and authority. Right. And so you can do this in many ways. You can do it by sharing personal stories You can do it by um, modeling things like, oh, I'm not happy with how that sounded. Let me take it again, right? You can do a lot of modeling and then you can say, and if you feel like you need to do that, please do so. So I do that a lot, especially when I'm capturing the testimonials and because you don't hear me in those, you don't hear that happening. I have in the past said things like, we can stop the interview right now. You don't have to be on the episode, Thank you for making time, but it sounds like this is very difficult for you. And every time I do that, people say, just give me a minute. I can do it. I want to do it. Just give me a minute. Right. And so you have to show the deepest commitment to the person's comfort and mental and spiritual well-being. And you have to demonstrate that. So often I will premise a difficult question by saying, okay, I'm going to ask you something really hard now. Or I will premise something um, that might feel intrusive by saying, you can totally tell me to fuck off after I ask you this and I can handle it. And what happens is the minute you say that, they just want to tell you.
0: yeah, They just want to tell you
3: more. Right. And so there are these interview techniques where it's not about extracting information. It's about basically you sitting on the floor so that the person feels like, right, you are being vulnerable, too, because I could tell you to go fuck off right now. Right. And so I do that very obviously, very obviously. Like, I communicate it, I verbalize it. I sometimes will say, Oh, you know, we had a guest on that, 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 that and then connect it to them. Or, you know, sometimes when we talk to family therapists, they'll mention this da, 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 and then bring it back so that I'm trying to create a connectivity of this person's story to all of the things that we've been doing on the show. And that is really reassuring for them because it doesn't feel isolated anymore. It feels like, right, I came here to offer my story in the service of all of us growing and learning, right? She just reminded me that that's why I'm here. Because remember, everyone on the show volunteers. We... Get emails that say, Hey, I have a story. I want to talk about it. Right. And so already they have pre selected themselves to come to the show and and share incredible stories.
0: If someone who's listening doesn't have a show where the premise itself is inherently, it conveys vulnerability and the need for it. You know, I think of a lot of the people that follow my work came from marketing or entrepreneurs or, you know, they're business people or they are solo creators. And a lot of them have you know, business oriented or educational shows where who is appearing, expert or otherwise, is trying to in some ways show off, be liked, promote something. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: How would you approach an interview like that to get them to a vulnerable place when maybe they have way more barriers and guards up?
3: Oh, that's two words. Storytelling and analysis. What you have to do is only ask questions that elicit a story or elicit analysis of something that happened. That's it, it's really that simple.
0: Mm -hmm. There's so many business shows that just don't do that at all. It's stunning, it's stunning. Why is that effective, those two things?
3: Because that's not what they came to do. So picture this, you go to aerobics class, Right. You've got your matching neon, stretchy things on.
0: Right. Right. You have
3: a sub teacher that day. And the sub teacher, unfortunately, got text 12 minutes ago when she was finishing up her last class. And guess what she teaches? Yoga. But you already came to the gym. You're in your cute outfit and the mat is already laid out. And you need the workout. So guess what? You get into pose and start your yoga class. <laughs> that's how you get, yeah, that's how you get a good interview. You ask them to do things that they came, that they did not come prepared to do.
0: Let's go to the next clip. In this clip, we're actually going to pull it from a different episode, but similar subject. It's still about Rafe, but it's an episode called Coming Out to My Family, where, and as the name implies, it's the, the episode where it's about his sexual orientation rather than the moment of assault. The first voice we'll hear here is uh, Alina Maria Tello-Cordon. Uh, she's a clinical social worker. And then we're going to hear your voice, Juleka. And there's a very specific move that I'm super excited to talk to you about from this clip. So let's take a listen. You
1: know, starting the conversation, I think even before, you know, identifying that uh, kids are maybe expressing themselves in a different way, allowing for uh, language, LGBTQ culture to exist in the household, uh, watching movies with themes or characters of the community, introducing uh, friends or out family members. So many of us and other other folks that haven't come out yet kind of sit there and listen to their parents or aunts and uncles and and cousins make little jokes or little commentaries that might be demeaning of the LGBTQ community. And those are the signs to us that tell us like, okay, this is not a safe family member to come out to because they're going to judge me. I mean. Hopefully, as, as the world and communities and families change, there won't be a need to actually come out. You just get to exist as yourself. Mm-hmm.
3: So let's pick up on that, because I think that that's a really important point, that in many ways, the responsibility is on the person that is, quote unquote, coming out. So there's a lot of educating that has to happen that they basically have to lead, especially if they are born into families that are culturally conservative or religiously conservative. So what are some of the recommendations for someone who is going through the self-discovery, but also who is in the position of being the person who's going to have to lead everyone else in understanding who they're becoming and who they really are?
0: So a couple of questions. The reason I wanted to play this clip was to talk about your ability to follow up when things are emotional or it's a great point, you know, that, that was a great moment from your guest there. How do you know where to then insert yourself or what threads to pull? Cause it seems like you could have taken that in very many different directions.
3: So that was definitely one of, one of yeah. the gut punches during that interview. And uh, I wanted to underline it. So I immediately say, yeah, let's pick up on that. Because that's like me, my mind highlighting for the listener. This is the part. This is the part that you want to go back to and listen to. Literally the way I would highlight books in college for when you're studying, you highlight those paragraphs. Um, And then I summarize what she just said, right? Which is just basic journalistic practice. So that one, make sure that I understood it and make sure that it, she also has an opportunity to expand it or correct it if I didn't understand it. But two, so that I give the listener a different set of words with which to also express what was just explained so elegantly by, by the guests. But then I want to really get to what is most important, which is the burden of responsibility that the person who's coming out bears. And I repeat that phrase two to three times in in what I say, because that's what I want people to understand, that it is a burden of responsibility that the person bears. And I'm just mirroring what my expert said. Right. But this is me practicing those good communication skills, you know, rephrase and repeat, Um, because I know now from getting so much listener feedback that people listen to episodes multiple Mm -hmm. times to prepare to have conversations with their families. I know this now because they tell us all the time. I had to talk to my parents about X, Y, and Z, and I listened to the episode six or seven times. I took notes. I used some of the words that your expert recommended that we use. And then remember that at, every, at the end of every episode, we give you the key, the three key takeaways from what the expert said. And so I also want to signal to Virginia, was as I'm doing the interview, this is going to be one of those key points that we're going to put in the end. Right? Oh,
0: right. You're, you're sort of thinking like a producer and editor as well. Yes.
3: And invariably, not invariably, all the time she picks up on it because now we have a style, we have a rhythm, right. we know how to send right. each other messages. You know,
0: I think a great host is in very many ways a great guide. And your analogy was you're always highlighting things and that's what you're doing vocally. Um, I like yours better. I'm going to take it because I used to say, it's like you're trying to grab someone by the back of the neck, point them in the right direction and be like, this, don't miss this. But yours is a little bit Less threatening. Yeah, that's no. not an analogy. Let's, bro. let's do that. Let's do that.
3: That's that's like a plain three acts. Honestly.
0: <laughs> let's go to the next clip, shall we? I think that's a good transition, good segue. I'm gonna let's, let's do that. Highlight the fact that we're going not not push you towards the next clip, but highlight the fact that we're moving on to another clip. That's called the transition in the biz, folks. this final clip is from an episode called when mommy doesn't respect your hustle. Probably my favorite title of any episode of the show. I love this one. Testimonial is from an entrepreneur named Nelson. When Nelson was a kid, he watched his mom scoff. I love that word at his uh, father's ambitions. And, uh, It's not that I'm not from an entrepreneurial family. I am. My father was an entrepreneur my whole life and never told me as such. So I wish he did because I went the corporate route and I hated it. I don't think my family would have scoffed at my desire to be an entrepreneur. But if I had known entrepreneurship was a thing, I would have been obsessed from a young age. And so here is Nelson. uh, And uh, he was watching as his mom scoffed at his father's ambitions to start his own business. And now he's uh, struggling with her opinions of his own hustle as an adult. And in the clip, you're discussing this dynamic with family therapist, um, Stephen Lewis, did I pronounce that right? Stavon. Stavon? He pronounces it Stavon. Stavon Lewis. Yeah. And right before this clip, they're talking about this classic immigrant story where the parents hustle and work blue collar jobs, but they expect their kids to become white collar professionals.
4: Let's go to the clip. And that's, <laughs> it's a tough thing because you're saying, well, what worked for you was having this hustle mentality. That's what made you successful. Now you're saying, I need to abandon all of that. And that's hard for a kid to understand because the story or the message they're getting is that you've got to work hard. You've got to hustle. That's to be successful because that's what my mom or dad did. But they're also telling me, don't do that. Parents don't want you to have a struggle life. I think that if you're being successful, and that's where I said, you've got to evaluate whether what you're doing is working for you, then in in a more objective way. So are you getting the results you're wanting by doing things the way you want to do them? Like start there as a baseline. So if we're kind of objectively evaluating what it is we're doing and what we're putting out into the world, are we doing it in a way that is helping us reach our goals? If not, then maybe, you know, we take into account more of what, you know, our parents are telling us uh, or try a different way. But other than that, I mean, you're, as individuals and human beings, especially, you know, adult children, uh, we're gonna have to live with the consequences of our decisions, and if you're happy with how your life is, you know, at the end of the day, you you're the one who's gonna have to live it and be you.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna push back on that one, Doc. Okay. Because in a typical, big quotation marks, Latino mm-hmm. household, you see your family all the time. They're in your face, in your business. You can't really be like, Psst, "I'm good. This is what I decided for myself. I'm a grown person. It is what it is." Yeah, we don't roll like that. We're going to be questioning your every decision. How can we, after we've done all this wonderful growth and self-assessment and position ourselves for ourselves where we want to be, how can we communicate that in ways that, one, don't fly in the face of what our parents have wanted for us, right? And Mm -hmm. two, don't make them feel like we are doubting the work that they've put in already on our behalf. I am such a clown. Jesus, (laughs) I am such a
0: clown. How do you get away with that moment?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Because I have a wonderful guest. It's the only way that you can get away with that. Um, Stéphane is so smart, really charismatic, really funny And and by that point in the interview, we had established a really good rapport, you know. And so I would not have tried that with, for example, a professor. We tend to have professors who really take themselves very seriously, who are very guarded, who, you know, they sort of pretend like there's a podium in front of them when they're talking. So I probably could not get away with doing that to a professor. It would absolutely fall flat but with someone who is really engaging and charismatic as a sense of humor. And he was telling stories throughout the interview too. I mean, there were so many stories that he told about his uncle and his cousin. We left one in there about his Nigerian best friend. And so, it was just a very jovial exchange yes. between the yes. two of us. So that's that's how you can get. But it really it really really depends on the guest.
0: When you you establish that you want the same thing out of the conversation, right? You're both here to teach the audience something, and it feels like you're very aligned yeah. in trying to do that. Maybe having differing perspectives as to what's a useful moment or where or, or the pathway to it. Uh, I think that's really healthy um, for folks that are not the type of interviewer who like to push back. How do you begin to weave that in? Because I think we can all sense moments where maybe we should, but we don't necessarily have the tools at the ready to do so in a way that's tactful, that keeps the respect and the relationship strong and gets a well-rounded answer out of someone. So how do you begin to do that when, you know, for you, it seems very seamless and natural after so many interviews?
3: Oh, this is where your um, English Composition 101 skills come back in where you write an argumentative essay, and then you have to offer the refutation. So you can just pretend that you are offering the refutation and it's not personal. So you can lead with, but some people might disagree, but some people might counter. There are those that say, and so it comes across as like, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying there are those people don't know who they are. They're not obviously in the studio with us, but there are those people who believe in this other thing. So what do you say to those people? <laughs> really basic counter arguments, right? You can present them really neutrally without alienating your um, your guests.
0: Two of my favorite moments. See what had happened was, so we got those out of the way. <laughs> and then here's another one. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying.
3: They're saying, I'm not saying, they're saying, saying. right. (laughs) And you can literally say, obviously I don't believe this, but let's just put it out there. You know, like if you feel like you might be on the cusp of really alienating your guests, then literally throw some other unknown person under the bus and just say, so I don't personally believe this. I mean, I actually don't really have an opinion on this, but I have heard it said that. So so what do you think about that?
0: I you know I, I don't believe this Julika but I'd say you know some podcasters who interview you might think the show is done we can't do better than this. So I you know <laughs> what do you say to those people? No. Seriously though I cannot thank you enough for coming on a second time. Thank you. I'm charging you for the next one. Send me one. the invoice. It's fine. Just send me the invoice. You'll know where to find me. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was produced by Andrea Moraskin with original theme music by Cardboard Rocket Chip. You can learn more about my projects, including my free newsletter for creative people, my other show, Unthinkable, my books, and my course on podcast development at jayakunzo.com. Three Clips is a Castos original series. I have partnered with Castos, which is a software company, to bring you this show because we believe the same thing. Podcasting is about going deeper in a world trending shallow exploring things that matter, connecting more deeply with your audience. And so Castos is developing a suite of software tools to help podcasters do that. And one of the things that they're betting heavily on are private podcasts. So whether you're a marketer trying to reach your in-house team at the business you work for, or you're a creator trying to serve the audience more deeply, maybe generate some revenue through your show and provide something extra special for your community and your superfans, explore all the tools that Castos offers in private podcasting and beyond at castos.com. That's C-A-S-T-O-S dot com. All these links are in your show notes. And now it's time for our bonus segment where every episode we ask our guest for a podcast that they want to recommend that is not at the top of the charts. A show they'd like to show some love to. We call this segment Play It Forward.
3: All right. So the show is called Mementos and it's by one of the OG of the podcasting CRC community, Lori Mortimer. And it is such a beautiful concept. She talks to people about objects that they love that have a significance to them. But she is such a gifted interviewer that you just get immersed into the significance and the beauty uh, of this object and of the lives and the histories that are wrapped around them. So. Check out Mementos everywhere you listen. Follow Lori Mortimer on Twitter. She's she's an OG.
0: All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akonzo. And as always, I believe great podcasting, great show running, great creative projects today. It's not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me. And I'll talk to you every Monday with a brand new episode of the show. See ya.